And my text this morning, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ is Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Beloved in the Lord, today is the Lord's day, and it is altogether right and proper that we should be here in the worship of God, learning from the Word of God, as the people of God to do the will of God. But we do this in a context, don't we? We are not ethereal beings up on a cloud somewhere this Lord's day. We are in a world and in a country which as it anticipates a holiday tomorrow to commemorate our beloved born day, finds itself, well let me put it to you this way, it has to improve in order to be a crisis. Our border is wide open, inflation is raging, all I need to mention are the words buffalo and you value and you know what I'm talking about. More on that later. We, as a nation, are a people of uncleanness, and we live in the midst of a people of uncleanness. And the worst part of it all is that we seem to be accelerated in our apostasy as a nation. What then is the solution? Shall we form a social action committee? Shall we canvas door to door as a congregation? Should we draw up petitions and march on Washington? That is not what the Apostle Paul calls us to today as a congregation of Christ. You see, Paul loved the people at Rome. You could hear it in the reading this morning, too. He says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He said, I am your debtor. I am eager. I am a slave. Your servant. I wonder if we this morning can say with Paul in the words of the hymn I love your kingdom, Lord. The house of your abode, the church, are dear and with his own precious blood. Paul loved the church. And he loved the church so much that he would not shrink from declaring to them the whole council of God. And so that is my task this morning. To preach to you the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you might be encouraged. That you might be built up in your most holy faith. That you might love one another more deeply, serve one another more earnestly, and follow Christ more faithfully. To that end, congregation, my main thought this morning is that you should believe in the gospel God promises you for salvation. First of all, because He has shown you that He is real in all of His creation. Second, because he has shown you that he is wrathful in our righteous condemnation. And thirdly, because he is righteous 
in offering you salvation. Paul says, first of all, let's look at Paul's motive. I've already made mention of it. Paul, and again, I'm being anachronistic by putting words of him into Paul's mouth. But Paul loved to tell the story. For those who knew it best, kept hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. As I prepare to preach this message to you, beloved, are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? That's where the blessing is. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. King James says, they shall be filled. Are you hungry this morning? Are you thirsty for the water of life? Are you hungry for the bread of life? I hope so. Because that's where the blessing lies this morning. Paul says, first of all, you need to believe in this gospel because God has shown you that he is real in all of his creation. And by the way, this space isn't much to look at, so I'm going to encourage you to look down at your Bibles frequently as I preach. It will be far more edifying for you, I think. Notice what Paul says. His first four is in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. As John Murray, one of the professors of my alma Westminster Seminary, once said, evidence is one thing. The ability to perceive it is quite another. I remember a relative of mine, who shall remain nameless, who at the tender age of 17 decided she was going to France with her friends. Yes, shocking. This was decades ago. Not only so, they had the audacity to hitchhike on the French auto. Can you imagine? Well, sooner or later, the gendarmes, the men of arms, the police showed up and said, Mademoiselle, that means you see. So the Rebellion haunted a while. Come here, what you're doing is against the law. And now, this relative of mine had had four years of French in high school. So she knew perfectly well what he was saying. And her accent was just a wee bit too good. As she attempted to protest, should the come from I don't understand. To which the gendarme replied, the complex will be an answer that is evicted. You understand all too well, miss. Come with us. <laughs> that is the law of every creature made in the image of God. Every man, every woman knows in their heart of hearts that God is God, but they are not. What does Paul say? Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. And I believe that's a faithful translation of the Greek particle N. For God has made it known to them. You may not know much about your neighbors. I don't know much about mine. Just a bunch of houses on the street. But this much you know about them, you know more about them than perhaps they're willing to admit about themselves. 
that in their hearts, as Augustine has said, there is a God-shaped vacuum. And as Augustine wrote in his confessions, O God, thou hast made us for thyself, and we are restless until we find rest in thee. Why is our country like a paratrooper burning in because the main hasn't opened and the reserve has failed too? We are in moral freefall in this country. And it's not the fall that's going to destroy us, it's the land. Because when we are done, the righteous wrath and retribution of God will be fully revealed in this moment. But I get ahead of myself. What may be known about God, even His eternal power and divine nature, is clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Like my relative on the outfit. They, com they comprehend all too well. And so we have a certain point of contact with our fellow human beings. When we encounter that in the school, in the shop, in the supermarket, on the street, they are the image of God. Efface, but not erase. One of my professors put it this way. Take an old George Washington court. A good old one that's passed through many hands and gone in and out of many pockets and purses. And you can look at that and you might not any longer be able to tell because it is so worn that it is the face of George Washington. But you know that it is the face of a man. Even so in us. The image of God has been defaced and defaced by our depravity. But it has not been erased. What does James say in chapter 3 verse 5? With our tongues we bless God and with our tongues we curse men who are the image of God. Beloved, you understand and realize that this is your point of contact with your unbelieving friend, relative, associate, and neighbor, that at some point you may be the one who helps them understand who they are. For our generation is in a crisis of identity, is it not? All the and I'm going to throw a stone, not at your window, but be patient, your turn might be coming. And all the feminists who firmly upheld Title IX are strangely silent as women's sports, protected by <coughs> public law, are now destroyed by the LGBTQ community. Where children are not safe in school restaurants. Yes, I'm going there. If you're uncomfortable pulling your toes, because I'm stepping this way. The wrath of God is revealed against us precisely because we know and we know that we know that God is God and we are not. But thank God Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to make this argument, doesn't he, throughout the text. At every point along the way where he increases condemnation, he reminds of revelation. 
Notice what it says in verse 21. For even though they knew God, notice verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. Notice verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God. See, Paul is going to go on in Romans 2 to tell us that even the Gentile has the work of the law written on his or her heart. And that sometimes their consciences excuse them, and sometimes their consciences accuse them. Why? Because they have the work of God's law written on their heart. They are the image of God receiving and rejecting the revelation of God, even the work of God, the work of the law written on their hearts. It's why most atheists are not apathetic. Most of them who are sincere are activists. They not merely ignore God, they hate God. Now how can you hate somebody you don't believe in? That's a head scratcher for me. They refuse to acknowledge God. They exchange the truth of God. They exchange the glory of God. Even though they know the ordinance of God. And this isn't the Jews he's talking about here. This is man as creature. How do we know that? Verse 20. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, note the adverb there. Yes, grammar is important, children. Clearly seen, being understood by the things that have to make, so that they are without my relative on the other. They understand all too well. You say, this is how I think is that. Of course, you think they're going to show me that? I certainly didn't. No, I was an unbeliever. I did not know why people know how wicked I was in my heart. I was afraid they wouldn't like me. Which was idolatry in itself. So first of all, I have to summarize. You are to believe in this gospel of salvation because God has shown you and all men that He is real by virtue of His revelation in creation. You can discuss that in Sunday school if you want, but I'm not moving off that path. I may not be very wise, but I'm wise enough to know that when Paul says something, I'm not going to put a comment on it. He puts an explanation. But secondly, notice here in our text that you're to believe in this gospel because God has shown you that He is wrathful in our condemnation. Not only that He is real and revealed in His creation, but that He is wrathful in His condemnation. Now what comes to mind now is something perhaps you've witnessed or heard about in stories where the atheist will say, if God is real, let Him strike me down right now. Nothing happens. See? But what God has done is given that reprobate over to his unbelief. And as I stand in this pulpit before you this morning, there's one thing you dare not do when you walk out of this sanctuary. 
Well, I enjoyed the sermon, but it really didn't change too much. Oh, really? The Word of God is living and active, more powerful than any two-edged sword, discerning even between the soul and the spirit, revealing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You will either be heartened by the Word of God or hardened by the Word of God. You never leave a worship service the same person you were when you came in. That is why Jesus says what he does. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I'm just getting into this sermon, but unless your mindset is to do God's will, this word will only do you harm. So beware. And by the way, that's what our confession of faith says in chapter 14, section 2. Saving faith also trembles at the threatenings. It not only yields obedience to the commands and beliefs, the promises above all, receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the covenant of grace. Close quote. So be warned, beloved. I would not be your friend if I did not know you. Paul says, secondly, if you believe this gospel, because God is wrathful in his righteousness, Condemnation. Notice what it says. Verse 18, the wrath of God. And then again, the word of the verse begins with the word for. Don't miss what is for, F-O-R, the little Greek particle, gar, gamma, alpha, rho. It's a word of explanation, isn't it? For, why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Why is it the power of salvation? For in it, the righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Why is that important? Verse 4 in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Notice verse 20, the end. So that they are without excuse. Verse 21. They did not honor him as God or give them the fact that they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was dark. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and fallen creatures. God's wrath is revealed in what human beings become when they reject his revelation. It may not be light. It may not be thunder. It may not be fire. It may not be brimstone. But it is that continuing calcification of the cardiac or the hardening of the heart. That's what Paul said. Phrase that causes my brow to sweat and my spine to chill. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them hope in the loss of their hearts to purity. Verse 26. God gave them hope to the greater passion. Verse 28. God gave them hope to the great mind to do those things which are not proper. In this Memorial Day weekend, 2022, we could throw up our hands and say, well, it was us. 
before we can realize what is going on in our country. That it is being given over to the righteous wrath and retribution of God for the sin against His revelation and creation. Why? Because it seems that it's getting worse at an increasing rate. Why is apostasy accelerating? Because men and women are hardening their hearts. Even though they have the work of the law written on their hearts. They are exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Why do you think animal rights is such a big deal? And abortion isn't to the, to the natural man. Why is the killing of puppies and whales deemed such an unacceptable behavior and abortion is fought over to the extent that there are demonstrators outside the houses of our Supreme Court justices so that abortion might continue with abandoning this country? Why is that? Because God is giving us up to our own iniquity and immorality of God's mercy. And what do people become under the righteous wrath and retribution of God? Again, it may not be like it was with Nadab and Abihu or Korah in his rebellion where fire comes down to consume or the earth opens up to swallow. It's in the cynical sneer and the sarcastic smile of the mockers of the gospel. That's wrath. That's retribution. That's the damning of the crowd. It's what it is. You can like it, you can love it, but you better learn to live with it because it's what the Word of God teaches. Paul goes on. There's not only a problem with the practice of these behaviors, apparently there are those who not only enter into them but also approve of them. In polite society, for you to speak against any of these things against which Paul speaks, you might have demonstrators at your house before you know it. And if this is live, I might have them at my house when I get home. I don't care. It just proves that God's word is true. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I served on active duty 28 years as an army chaplain, and I watched the policies change, like an avalanche that began with a snowball and rolled down here. I remember when the government policy changed from one of disapproval to don't ask, don't tell. To an open, wide, free-for-all. Actually. It's where we are. What are we going to do about it? As the Church of Jesus Christ. What you may do as a Christian individual is your matter of your conscience. 
how you vote, how you donate, who you canvass for. I'm not asking this congregation to become activists. Don't get me involved. In fact, I think the mission of the church would be sadly and sorely neglected. Word, sacraments, prayer, discipline. If we were to become like those congregations that have rejected the gospel and its mission and ministry in the interest of political activism. It's not the church's role. But I will tell you what the church's role is, and Paul makes it very clear. You are to believe this gospel, not only because he's shown you that God is real in all of his creation, he's revealed in his creation, not only because he has shown you that he is righteous in his wrathful condemnation. But thirdly, in festival, sacred festival. Because he has shown you that he is righteous precisely in your salvation. How can God be just and the justifier of the people tells us this? What does he say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it a righteousness from God is revealed, from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. What is this righteousness of which Paul speaks? He tells us in our text. It is why he can say to the Romans, I am eager to come to you. I am a debtor to you. I am under obligation to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is that gospel? That gospel is the gospel that he records in his writing in the rest of this epistle. I encourage you to do a little Lord's Day reading this afternoon. So that you'll, look, you'll understand what Paul Harvey calls the rest of the story. What does he say? He says, the gospel, the euangelion, which literally means the good news, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I remember over 50 years being at a conference. I was converted in college. And I was at a conference where people were talking about what was going on on the campuses. I was within a Washington Christian Fellowship at the time. And there was one young lady there who had a large economy size, black Morocco leather, gold binding King James Bible with concordance, Max and Cross. And this is what she was using in her Bible study with women. And what she reported was this to those who were more advanced. Well, we study the Bible, and people are believing the gospel, and they're becoming Christians. The last thing, I went to college in the 70s, okay? Okay? Yeah, I'm that old. Not that old if you're a tree, but I'm not that old. And everybody kind of stared at me. 
because here she was, and by the way, dressed very conservatively, she did all kinds. Long sleeves, long hems. As is appropriate. But what's kind of crazy on the campus, the generation that gave up Woodstock. And people just stared at her, and all of a sudden someone said, Look out, it's alive! The Word of God is living and more powerful than any two ever saw. It's like one of the angels said when interviewed on a talk show. How do you defend the Bible? Quoting Spurgeon out of Angela said, How do you defend a caged lion? You let the lion out of its cage. The lion will defend itself. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Children, do you believe this this morning? You believe the good Jesus, the good news Jesus loves me, yes I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do you believe this? You do well to believe. It is the truth of God, and it will save your soul and enrich your life. But Paul goes on, doesn't he? For it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Without distinction, Paul is fond of this. This, this phrase in the first and also in the Greek in Colossians 3 says, Here there is neither barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and is in all. Without distinction, this gospel is freely and sincerely offered to all. This is our Presbyterian heart. This is what we believe. That we offer the gospel to all. Just as Paul did on Mars Hill with the Athenians. What did he say? God overlooked the former times of ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent, for he has fixed the day in which he will judge the wrong and righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? For I deliver to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not merely some holy history that we give a tip of the hat to on Sundays. If I'm boring you, beware of your souls. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, by this you are saved. But why is it the power of God for the salvation? The fourth four. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is this righteousness Paul goes on to tell us in chapter 3? In what Leon Larson's commentary on Romans said, may be the most important paragraph ever written. Paul says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested on the street by the way. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. 
For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sin previously. For the setting forth, I say, of His righteousness at the present time that He might be just and the justifier of the one that has faith in Jesus. This text which I'm preaching this morning was the one that God used to say, no one less than one listen. The just shall live by faith. Beloved, is this righteousness yours this morning? Do you understand what Paul meant in Philippians 3 when he said that I count all other things as done that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness from God, which is my faith. This righteousness is the righteousness that God imputes to sinners, so that they are saints. So that they become in heaven, when they die, what the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 calls the spirits of the just man made perfect. Why can I preach with such, such joy this morning with my wife in the grave only eight weeks? Because she's now among the spirits of the just made perfect. And she looks upon the face of Christ without ceasing and sings his praises. And beloved, that is your future. That is your hope. That is your destiny. If the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you by faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, the hymn writer says. Simply to your cross I cling. Make it come to you for dress. Guilty look to you for grace. Follow I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, all right. That's our prayer. If we're wise, the righteousness from God is revealed to you. But by faith, from first to last. Is this your hope this morning? I pray it is. Because if it is, I will tell you that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than of ninety-nine righteous who have no need of repentance. I know the story of a man. who when he had graduated high school had determined three things. That he would no longer go to church as his mother did. That he would not join the military as his brother did. And that he would never go into business management as his father did. This man went off to college, left all he had learned that was good behind. Sunday he would walk downtown, pick up the Sunday newspaper, the son in a previous generation known as the Devil's Bible, and read the New York Times book review section. He went from bad to worse, got involved with drugs and drink, had a checkered relationship with women. But he pledged a fraternity. In fact, he was the president of the pledge class. 
moved into the fraternity house in the fall. The guy who lived across the hall from him was a weightlifter who was quarterback on the fraternity football team. Had long hair and beard, but was trying to kick some motorcycle. But totally shocked and amazed the man who my feet when he invited him to a Bible study. Well, that's the president of the pledge class, that man with whom I speak thought he was being hated. Here I am, a fraternity house being invited to a Bible study. But to get along, he went along together. He went to the Bible study. And then the motorcycle rider really got involved. He asked him to hold the Bible study in history so that it couldn't get away. And on November 9th, 1970, that man heard a message on the parable of the prodigal son. He realized that that was who he was. That he was in a far country, far from God. That he needed to come to himself and go home. And say to his father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called the son take me as your And that man's prayer was heard, and his life was changed. And he has never been the same. I know because I am that man. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the judge shall be by faith. I challenge you this morning to think of the person in your life least likely to become a Christian. I'll give you a second. Okay, got that? Got that face squarely in your mind? That was probably the face that the early Christians, the face that the early Christians probably had of that person least likely to become a Christian is the man who wrote this letter. Because the power of God is in Christ's gospel. I close this morning with a story from 2 Kings 7. You may know the story. It is the story of the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. So much so the famine had overtaken the city. For they were all closed within the gates. I am paraphrasing to shorten it. And there were several lepers in the city who looked at each other in their leprosy. Even the lepers had been shut in. The, the, the fierceness of the Assyrians was so great. They were kept off in the corner, no, no doubt. And they looked at each other and said, Well, if we stay here, we're going to die of starvation. Or we're going to die of leprosy. Let us go throw ourselves on the mercy of the Assyrians, and if we are killed, we will be put out of our misery. So they slipped out of the city, went out to the Assyrian camp to throw themselves on the mercy of those bloodthirsty soldiers. And what did they find? They found an empty camp with campfires, skins full of wine and water, pots full of cooking food. For the Lord had caused a great noise in the camp, so much so that the Assyrians were frightened and had ridden away. 
what do those lepers do? But dig in. They began to fill their mouths with food and with water and with wine. And in the midst of their celebrating for joy, one of them stopped and said, Brothers, we do not like. Today is the day of the news. Come, let us go back into the city and tell the people what the Lord has done for us. And brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we keep this great good news to ourselves, we do not well. Come, let us go back into the city and tell the people what the Lord has done for us. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, and to bring you faultless before his presence with great joy to the end of the lifetime, the glory, dominion, majesty, and power forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, forgive us for our gifts of silence as we have seen the misery of sinners like ourselves who once were darkness, but who are now light in the Lord. Lord, we are but beggars telling other beggars where to find them. Help us to confess you before men. For you, O Lord Jesus Christ, have said, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever is ashamed of me before men, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Help us to say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Help us not to be silent, but to speak in small ways, in deeds of love, in gestures of kindness, in words of grace, in lives of purity. And may you receive all the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake alone. And all God's people said. Amen.